0: Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. Today's episode is sponsored by Apernio an achievement acceleration company whose approach to professional development enables clients to gain insights and perspectives to live, work, and engage with more success. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody to Mindset Playbook, and our guest today is Andrea Chilcote, who is the founder and CEO of Morningstar Ventures and holds nearly three decades of experience in the organizational development coaching and consulting field. Her notable work includes enterprise-wide organizational development initiatives, as well as executive coaching, partnering with executives and their teams across a variety of Fortune 500 companies and diverse business sectors. A recognized, trusted partner who gets results, Andrea focuses on client relationships, taking much much pride in her track record of longevity and sustainability in client connections. Her programs and methods meet leaders where they are in their own development and move them beyond the superficial to integrated behavioral change. She's also the author of Eric's Hope, The Leash That Led Me to Freedom, based on her own life memoir and most recently released a new book, The Very Moment, which is a collection of essays about relationships. Andrea, thank you for sharing you and your time with our listeners today. Uh, Having started my own company over 25 years ago, I believe I know what it takes to sustain long-term relationships with my clients as well as what does not And what do you believe is the foundation of your success? And more specifically, what do you feel is the foundation of sustainable relationships and why?
1: Well, thank you for having me this morning, Larry. And uh, I love the topic that you've started with here. I, I think your question that I think the relationships are the reason for business longevity. I know that's true uh, for my business, and and I have some some client companies that I've worked with since the very beginning, and still work work with. Uh, some of those individual clients have left or retired, but I still still work with those organizations, and and I think that um, the relationships that I have built have been sustained because of a, I'll I'll use the word, a service mindset or a giving mindset. I think sometimes when people start businesses, they worry about um, dollar paid for service offered or uh, they they consider the time they put in and worry about those kinds of things. And from the very beginning, I was generous with my time and I believe it's still something that I do. Uh, when when this pandemic hit, I did a lot of things for clients that were not um, paid for. And I did those because people were in need. And that's how I started my business. And so I think mm-hmm. when you give um, generously, you are rewarded with business success and longevity.
0: Oh, <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. You know, and I, for our listeners, um, could you go back a few years and kind of share how you got into the business to begin with?
1: Oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting, I don't know if it's an interesting story. It's a, a bit of a convoluted story. So I'll try to make it quick. <laughs> that's okay. uh, I did not come out of the traditional uh, internal HR role or internal learning and OD role. Okay. Um, I, I have been coaching and teaching since I was in undergrad And um, didn't realize that I was preparing myself for this way back then. Um, I was a tutor when I was in college, when I went to graduate school. The thing I loved to do was teach. And I I did more more than the the average person's share of both classroom teaching and and other kinds of teaching roles. Mm -hmm. When I got into a corporate job in uh, sales and marketing, I... Got myself involved with the the teams that were doing training and love to develop people. Um, many examples, even back to I sometimes tell the story of my childhood. I used to a lot of a lot of girls play dolls, and I had dolls, but I taught them. I taught school <laughs> every night after I came home from from school, I would line them up and teach them what I learned. and And so I've been a teacher and a coach uh, most of my life. Uh-huh. And when I decided to start my business, I had taken a job that was uh, a little bit of a stretch role at a pretty young age. I was at the right place at the right time. And I made a commitment to learn about high stakes business for two years and then start my business doing doing this work. So I came out of it somewhat um, not not in a traditional way, but with with some leadership experience and some business experience. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: You know, it doesn't seem like there's any accidents in life. And can you go back to what was it that enamored you or touched you about the element of teaching? Can you remember when that that's kind of struck you that 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 was something that you wanted to pursue?
1: Yes, Uh, it is the ability to help somebody see possibility and see that they can overcome something that is in their way, they can achieve a goal. In the very beginning, a lot of my work was around helping people set goals and achieve those goals in, in their work. And it, it really is the idea of helping somebody, being a catalyst for helping people achieve something that's important to them.
0: Now, did you, were you brought up in an environment where you were, you were being assisted? as a young, young person?
1: Um, not really. No, okay. I, not really. I uh, always, school was important to my parents and, and it was, I was encouraged to take, take pride in my education and, and what I, what I was learning, but I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I had, had mentors at an early age. I had, a lot of really important mentors as an adult sure, and still do. Right, right.
0: So just this fascination <clears throat> with coaching, you mentioned that you started out helping people with goals and whatnot. And any time anyone is pursuing a goal, there are amazing opportunities for setbacks and difficulties, challenges, some, somewhat to the point sometimes where people just give up on them. What kind of an approach did you use at the time to assist people in not stopping?
1: Well, that answer was probably has evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my early days, I subscribed to the idea that if you break, if you get really clear about what you want and you break them into manageable pieces and you have support along the way, then you can achieve anything you want. And that is still true. Okay. What I've learned in years since and is more foundational to my work is you, you, have got to want it. You've got to identify the things that are, are truly core drivers and, and core motivators. And a lot of work I'm doing right now, and I think it's, it's happening because of what's going on in our world Mm-hmm. is purpose uh, work, and gotcha. I feel strongly that that we all can benefit from identifying what's really important to to each of us, and it's different for everyone and then goals are easy to achieve
0: now how what have you found relative to? You know, the concept of peeling the onion, that when you ask an individual a question as to what they want, you you sometimes get a pretty quick answer. Mm -hmm. You talk about getting down to the core elements. And to me, that requires some questioning. Mm -hmm. How do you go about that?
1: I um, teach a course. I was uh, preparing uh, for that this morning before this call. Mm -hmm. I teach a course called Advanced Consulting Skills. Okay. people to do exactly what you're talking about. And, and it is, there's a, there's a couple of elements to it. One is a mindset element, which is to be an unbiased listener and truly interested in helping the person find that root uh, need or root cause to a problem and not have your own agenda at play. So there's a mindset around listening, then there's skills around listening and, and being fully present to that individual. And then there are the questions themselves. And, and we do ask questions. We call it the outcome behind the outcome um, or the mm-hmm. one-way question. And, and those sound like techniques. And I'm, I'm not a techniquey person. But when I teach mm-hmm. it, I have to have a label for it. And, and so if you said you wanted a, a red car, I'd say, well, what will that red car do for you? Gotcha. And you might say, "Well, it'll make me feel good." And then I'd say, "Well, tell me about the feeling that you'd have, and and what? Um, so a red car is one way to feel good. Are there are there lots of other ways to feel good? Mm-hmm. And we we explore those, but it requires to start with a mindset of of unbiased um, listening and truly caring about having the other person uh, achieve what what they want to achieve versus your own agenda. Sure. You you know, you mentioned something that um,
0: we need to delve into a bit. And that is to come from an unbiased perspective with a brain that's filled with biases. Right. And so most people, that's an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. Try to listen to me without any biases. And yet, um, one of the One of the differences that sets coaches apart to coaches that really make a difference to coaches that just decided they wanted to go through a quick program and call themselves a life coach. And yet they have no clue as to what's necessary because there's such an organic piece that comes into play, as you know, Mm -hmm. you'd mentioned, I just use these labels in my teaching mode, but I don't, I don't operate from that perspective. Um, How do you go about Andrea Clearing your mind, and, and what technique, if or play in Mindset Playbook, what play do you use through the years that you found assists you in coming into a listening experience without a bias or a hidden agenda?
1: Several things. Okay. So, one is, and I think this is important for everybody, is to know what your own biases are, because you're right, we all have them. Sure. And so, if I know what those are, I know where I'm going to be triggered, I know where I might start to say something or start yeah. to respond. And gotcha. over the years, self-awareness, you know, one of the foundations of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, is, is, is really important.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have taught myself, and I've been doing this for so many years that it's I have to think through what do I really do. <laughs> I've taught myself to be present. Uh, we call it out focused and mm-hmm. external while being present. So I can be present to my own thoughts, feelings, needs. I can sit here and talk with you and think about what I'm going to have for lunch or uh, about um, it. can I can think about what note I might have sitting on my desk and I can be present to my own needs. That's not serving this conversation. So when I'm out focused, when I'm externally focused, then I'm present with you. So I'm listening to what you're saying, and using good communication skills, paraphrasing, asking follow up questions. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I adopt another mindset of out focused listening, and and I would say a third thing is uh, something really, really important to me. And that is taking care of my own needs so that they don't spill into that. So walking my dogs, hiking my dogs, going to now where I live, going to the ocean, um, outdoors is really important to me. It's important to me to have a window looking out to the outdoors and the natural world. And so that is almost, um, I'd say it's an equal... Um, need that I have in order to be present for clients.
0: Gotcha. That's um, very well said. Thank you. The, the element of taking care of yourself so your own biases don't come into play, you'd mentioned that one way to do that is mm-hmm. to make sure you're taking care of your, yourself from a health perspective, an exercise perspective, a mm-hmm. mindfulness perspective what have you found to take care of yourself while you're listening to not allow your own bias to take you on a little journey while the other person's lips are moving? Mm -hmm. You, because that happens. I mean, I've, I've been doing this for years and one of the most difficult things i found to do is to be present. I mean, it's such an easy thing to say, but there's so many elements that are attacking our mind for attention and, we're also asking ourselves sometimes, how am I doing? You know, am I following along? And they mentioned this earlier. I'm out to make sure that I follow up on that. Do you take notes or do you just been doing this so long that you don't let it go too far before you ask a question?
1: Both of those things, for sure. Okay. I do take notes. And I, okay. I can tell you that there are mixed views on, our use of zoom these days and Microsoft teams and all of the video applications, and some people hate it and some people love it. I'm finding, I I love the breakthrough that this has caused this, this silver lining in the pandemic has caused with people being willing to use video because we get so much more. And I think the side benefit is that people are not multitasking as much. Hmm. And, And so I, I would answer your question by saying, one one aspect is discipline and not multitasking. So, you know, that little window that comes up on your screen that says you have an email, I, that's disabled on my, my PC. And I have an environment in my office that allows me to not be distracted by emails and texts and things, things like that. It's still hard to do. And yet when you're on video, you can't do it. It just would be rude to pick up your phone and text. Right. So I think that is really a benefit. Now, it does detract from the note-taking because if I were talking to a client on the phone without being there in person or being on Zoom, I would take a lot of notes. And I find that I have to manage the note-taking with the contact when I'm, when I'm physically present and take some notes a little bit. Sometimes I even have to fill in the blank with the notes after after a call, that is one of the ways that I, I stay connected and present.
0: And it sounds like you, you do this on purpose. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just uh, well, I can trust myself to be focused. And the reason I linger on this is the success of anyone, whether they're starting out, you know, it's a new job or it's developing their own career is the quality of the relationships they have along the way. And relationships are built on a give perspective, not a take perspective, but it is a give and take. And you started out with our interview talking about the service mindset that you have. You know, I couldn't agree more. I might, I might change my perspective on having a better audio without the picture or having a picture in a little, little uh, worse off audio because I operate... So much on on what a person's expressions are, where they pause, where they start up, and just it helps trigger the brain to to pay attention to things that need to be a pay, paid attention to, and that's missing in 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 the audio. But we will be successful with audio. The um, you know one of the things I'd like to to ask you about, and that is. If if, I think it was Steve Jobs that said you best understand your life or your future by looking back and filling the dots in. And that gives you enables you to see how you did what you did when you did. And one of the elements that I would ask you is if you were a 17 year old again, Hmm. what advice would you give yourself? so that those that are listening at whatever age they happen to be in, we always have this moment to, to start afresh, or, or if we're all passionate and enjoying ourselves completely to just continue that, that process and build upon that. Unfortunately, since 85% of people are unhappy with their jobs and, and they say that less than, I think it's 90% are happy period with their life, that's a pretty small percentage that is really doing what they want to do and living the life they want to live. And that's when Emerson talked about most people are living quiet lives of desperation. And so one of the reasons you do what you do, one of the reasons I do what I do is to be able to give people the opportunity to think a little differently, to take a new perspective on on what they're doing and to have this moment become the the opportunity to make that tweak. So if you could go back to yourself at 17, what advice would you give, you give yourself that you think would have been beneficial when you look back?
1: Wow, great question. As you were talking, I was thinking about what I've learned about myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: and shifted about myself. Mm, okay and and so it would be self awareness sooner, and mm. sp- specifically, I could tell you what it is for me, and mm-hmm. it'll be different for everybody else, so for me, it would be don't worry so much, <laughs> okay. not everything is as important as you think it is. you don't mm. have to do it all right now. Um, it doesn't all, ha- I'm not really a perfectionist, but it doesn't all have to be done really well. Like everything in life is not important Just pick the things that are, mm-hmm. and that has come because that's a core element of my personality. And mm-hmm. I learned how to, how to manage that to make life better. And gotcha. so if I knew that about myself at 17 and knew for sure it would work out, that if I, you know, if I took a break, I wouldn't become a bag lady, then I would have perhaps done that. I've had to live my life and learn that things work out. You might have a bad day. You might have a, a lose a client or lose a piece of work or something like that. And you're Mm -hmm. going to get another one tomorrow. Um, I would tell myself not to worry.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great advice. I read something the other night about the past does not predict the future, and when you think about that, that is so powerful because most people are reacting based on what's already taken place in their life and preparing themselves for the inevitable as they go through the day, and they, they lose the sense of vision. They lose the sense of the the dream element, turning those into goals. Why do you believe? You are such a successful coach.
1: I truly think it's what I was meant to do. And all of the things that we've talked about in terms of the skill and competency that I've gained over, over the years, I think it's a merger of what I, you know, one of the gifts I have and the, the skill development and experience that I've, I've gained over, over many, many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I think that one element we can't have, you know, there's a, there's an old adage that God gave you everything to be successful except one thing. Have you heard that before?
1: No, What's that one thing
0: experience
1: yeah
0: and and it's a and if if i think if i was 17 year old 17 year old again i'd made a few different investments that's that's for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) right but i but i would have um i would have been a little more serious about the opportunities to develop myself into somebody that that could truly make a difference as opposed to just trying to get through school or trying to get through a party or trying to, whatever it may have been. The the self-awareness, which I believe we as coaches and as um, individuals who are assisting other people, whether we're leaders within a company or parents at home, if we can ask enough questions and not be satisfied with the status quo answer we can really start to find out and discover who these children are that we're raising and, and who the people that we work with are and what they want. And I'm sure what you found out along the way is that whole element about people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And you're, you can't do that by, by not being an effective listener. And all people have to do is ask themselves how many times they've left this conversation while they've been listening to you and I. And, and then they realize we're still talking and, and sometimes you're waiting to hear something that triggers something that you happen to be interested in at the time. Um, and if that's not going on, you miss so much. You miss things that could have been the difference in your life. And that being said, I've got a question for you. How do you make sure when you're doing your coaching that people aren't missing anything?
1: Well, I think they are i I think okay. I, that first of all, I think they are i um, I'm always humbled by how much impact we make in this work. you You do it, I do it um, when people tell us that. But in the moment, we often don't know because they're considering things. So that's I certainly true. encourage people to learn those very same skills of being present. And as a result of that, how do you, how do you
0: um, weave that into what you're attempting to accomplish with
1: someone? Well, sometimes that's the work itself. Okay. Being able to gotcha. put their attention on the things that are important to them and it's that that gets harder all the time as we get more demands on us more more stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and i encourage people to give themselves the time you know be mm-hmm. present in this time if they can't be i'd rather reschedule our session than then not be yeah. and once again i think video does help some with that um but I can't do it for them. They have to do it themselves. Um, As a coach, you know this, you know, sometimes people have homework assignments. Mm -hmm. We can only find what will create sufficient motivation for them to make a change and have them do the work, but they have to do the work. And I think that that is something that not every coach is, is comfortable with. I think sometimes there are people who, who want want it more than their client wants it, for example. And I'm not that kind of coach. I it's it's up to them. They have to do the work. Well, you can't be successful if they don't want it. No. Right. I
0: mean, it doesn't matter how good you are, or what how great your techniques are, or your heart, or whatever. Right. And and so, how do you know? How do you go about? making sure that they're going to do the follow-up work before you meet again with them.
1: Well, again, I don't think you can be sure unless they do it. You know, when they do it, then, then, then they're sure. Some of it's personality. There's some people who are just very driven and organized in that way. I, I have a, a client and she, if she's listening to this, she would, she would smile Uh, I gave her an assignment to do some work on a personality instrument. And she sent me a spreadsheet and it had every dimension and the different behaviors and what, which ones she rated them on a scale of one to 10, which ones were most important for her to focus on. And then a bunch of notes about each one and some behaviors and actions she's going to take. Well, I didn't assign that, but that's how, that's how she is. And she's been a joy to work with because she Mm -hmm. does, she follows through and she wants this learning experience others it's harder and i think we meet people where they are and we allow them to move at the at the pace that they want to move but if if i find that someone is not responsive at all to those kinds of things then the engagement is probably not going to be um, not going to go on it, and and that's pretty rare usually when people yeah. initiate this kind of work they're they're ready for it and ready to do the work
0: yeah good point good point And I have have found also that if I haven't done the work to make sure that they're telling me what they want, not what I want to hear,
1: Um,
0: because, you know, people want to be successful. They want a good coaching session and they, they want the coach to realize that they're coachable. And sometimes that's the wrong motivation to be able to take initiative now and act upon some of the suggestions the coach has made. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's what you teach in leadership. Don't open your mouth if you don't have an audience. And just because somebody is in front of you doesn't mean you have an audience,
1: right?
0: It's up to us to, to make sure that they're, they're listening. And as, as you have had these phenomenal opportunities in your life and have been as successful as you've been as a coach, um, what, what would you say keeps you coming back? You know, I mean, a guy can have a terrible golf game and then get one drive that just knocks his lights out and he, he comes back the next time. And even though he was miserable up to that point, what, what is it that is the most rewarding for you um, as a coach?
1: That's a timely question, given what's going on with all of the crises in our world. When I moved recently in March, I decided that my work was going to change somewhat, and mostly what I meant by that was i I was going to not travel the same way I traveled and I won't say I was complacent or on autopilot per se, but i was i liked my work I was happy with my work i did i i knew I was good at it and um I I had no complaints, but I wasn't on fire and I'm on fire uh, (laughs) what's gone on. Um, I am on fire about helping people. And you said it a few minutes ago, you said parents can do it and we can do a better job when people are younger in their career, helping them, asking them questions, helping guide them to what, what's important to them. I'm really Badly so I, I, people are experiencing levels of anxiety that we've never seen before. And there are also people who are under stress and not at risk of burnout because they have gained a certain amount of, call it EQ, call it tools to manage their, their situation. Uh, They know their purpose. They know why they're doing what they're doing. And I think we people need help now more than ever. I think we're on a we have an opportunity to really shift organizational cultures in the ways that we've been saying that we want to do for years and years. And we have a chance to do that. And I'm not just talking about working remotely. And, and I, I think our work is more important. I know that our work is more important now than ever before. And what we do is needed. And I feel very inspired by that. And what, what
0: specifically causes you to believe that our work is more important now than ever?
1: From my own client experience in, in, in two ways. There are people I work with who are in very, very healthy, strong cultures, who yeah. are getting through this. Their businesses are getting through it. They're successful despite the challenges. Uh, people are engaged and and still happy in their work despite challenges. There are, there are others who were not prepared for any of this, and what was a what was a disengaged culture, a disengaged workforce is really at risk now mm-hmm. and then the the research and the reading I've been doing there's there are a lot of studies being done uh, right now about people's level of anxiety, their level of engagement. and so I'm comparing my own anecdotal evidence which is is significant because I've got a lot of people I'm working with, but it's not a research project with with that. and I know that we can I know that we can affect change there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's that's so important. I um, In March, <clears throat> I was let go from a client that I'd developed a university for. And with COVID going on, you know, nobody really knew what to do. And we had an onboarding program where people spent a day with me just getting immersed in the guiding principles and what the purpose stood for and how it related to them. And they're, they're exercising identification with why these things were important to them, type, blah, 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 blah. And then leadership and all, you know, different types of elements going on in the company. Um, and then all of this gets cut off. They had 750 associates. They went down to 125. 50% of already been replaced or found another job. So now they're almost brand new on getting people to understand the culture. Mm. And they have nobody to help them understand the culture. And so what can happen to an organization is they, as they start to make a few dollars, they start to believe that things are back to normal.
1: Yes.
0: And yet their people aren't being engaged. They're not being touched. They're not, they're not having the opportunity because it hasn't been perceived as important any longer. And it's how do you go about helping these leaders understand that that is in fact going on within their organization?
1: Well, I don't know if you're back working with that organization, but that experience is pretty typical. So I find that I don't think we sing to the choir per se, But those are the organizations that don't think they need us. Exactly. So, you know, we don't really have to try to convince them. The ones who want our help are the ones who know they need it.
0: Yeah. Isn't that the case? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just an issue I need to get over is um, I think because of all the effort, time, and energy that was put into that client, uh, two weeks a month for over four years. Oh, wow. And and never did I spend any of that amount of time with a client. It was, you know, put things into place and then maybe two two days a month I would I would be physically on site and the rest of it was contacts through other mediums. And listening to you and what you've shared now is I just contradicted myself when I shared what I learned last night about the past not predicting the future. I'm expecting it to. Mm-hmm you helped me discover that I was expecting them to give me a phone call and things will be back to normal. And I think that's something that a lot of people are finding happening to themselves is, you know, this unemployment will last too long and and pretty soon the government will figure out how that I definitely need this unemployment. And I happen to be the one that fell through the cracks as they're thinking. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough spot to be in. And I think Those types of situations, whether they're in a company or at home, they're the ones that need the assistance. And yet, the businesses you and I are in, they have to reach out for it. It's it's not something that there's going to be a knock at the door or a check in the mail. And how we get people to be proactive is probably what assists you and I in being as successful as we are. But how does an individual listening to this get themselves to make a step? What What would you what would your advice be to that?
1: To look back on their lives. Okay. And look at times, I call it getting in a funk, where they've gotten themselves in a funk. Okay. They've gotten stuck or they felt like a victim. I do an exercise called Story One, Story Two about. We can tell a story of our circumstance or our lives as if we're the victim and done to, or we can tell it from a place of taking responsibility. And I would help them get clear on story two, where they're responsible for their life more Mm -hmm. quickly than maybe they've done in the past. And because they're gonna get there eventually. And yeah. so I would would hope that they wouldn't spend six months looking back, look back and say, I spent six months in this victim place. <laughs> and yeah. I could have been recrafting, I could have been starting that business, I could have been writing, I could have been doing things. And and that's what I would that's what I would say to them. Do they want to be, are they, are they a victim in story one? Or are they? Uh, a product of, of story two. Very,
0: very good. Very powerful. And those that are sitting there and they're listening to this and they want to reach out to, to you, uh, what would be the best, best vehicle for them to reach out to you?
1: Um, an email would be great. I'm Andrea at morningstarventures.com. Okay. My website is MorningStarVentures.com. There's a contact um, uh, sign up there, but you can reach out directly to me, Andrea, at MorningStarVentures.com. Beautiful.
0: Um, you know, I could go on and on and on. I just have so many questions for you. And uh, it's, I'm so glad you took the time to, to um, adventure out in, uh, in this podcast um, but do you have any questions or, or anything that you wanted to kind of wrap it up with as far as this segment goes in the podcast?
1: Well, I have particularly liked this conversation, too, because you're a coach and we both do the same thing. And so um, I, I'm curious for you, something that I'm wrestling with is everything is so different now. And there are so many opportunities out there how do we pick them? Do we get really good at Zoom and do team uh, webinars? In addition to our coaching practice, I do a lot of writing, and I'm, I'm trying to get my writing out there and spending time on that. It seems like there are more opportunities, not necessarily we pick up the phone and we're, you know, we have a contract with someone but there's sure. so many ways that we can we can craft our work. I'm curious what, what advice you would have for me uh, based on the work that, that you're doing.
0: Well, I from what I have heard, you've already answered it yourself, and that is to continue to do what you're passionate about. I think we get confused by which medium do we need to share our passion. Mm-hmm. And I think no matter what medium we're on, if we're passionate, we send a message beyond anyone else because that is such a gift to actually be loving what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a listener out there outside of the ones who do love what they're doing, who would love to be in a situation like that. And I, you know, I find that one medium I'm more comfortable with than another. I know that I I did webinars, do webinars one a month and it's the most time consuming, it's the most um lighting and sound and all the elements that I've put on myself to make this thing as difficult as possible. And um uh, I'm supposed to be enjoying it, but I'm actually relieved when it's over and they only last 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And, some, and if that's not humiliating enough, nobody is listening to them. So there's got to be a message there that it's not the medium,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: right? You just need to keep enjoying your writing and developing yourself and, and uh, having opportunities, not saying no to things like you didn't say no to the podcast. Yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's that old adage about you can chase the butterfly or you can sit down along the tree, and enjoy the day and the butterfly lands on your shoulder. I love that. Yeah. Right. Right. And that, that's who I, that's how I understand you in the brief amount of time that we've had to spend together. So I want to thank you again. And, um, those of you that again, want to get in touch with her and she's got some books out. She's, she's involved in, uh, a new venture. And um, Andrea, thank you so much again for your time. It's been very beneficial to all of us, and um, we wish you all the best.
1: Thank you, Larry, and same to you. Thank you for having me. You're sure welcome. Thank you for listening.
0: Join us next time for our insightful former honorary consul to the Netherlands, Siba van der Zee, a global executive search consultant who not only shares the secrets to landing that next job, but making sure that you come across the absolute best version of yourself in your current one as well.